the moon has been really good lately. And I hope everyone here had the opportunity last night to see the moon with the clouds moving in front of it. Um, really precious opportunity. Around these parts, we call those auspicious clouds. <laughs> um, there are lots of images of clouds in the writing of Dogen Zinji, and we heard some of them this morning in Ginjo Koan when we chanted. And it's wonderful to be in this place and see the clouds and water and the moon, clouds moving in the sky, uh, water coming down, dew on the ground, fog. Water and mist rising and falling, and clouds drifting, all presided over by a full moon. So we are we are practicing with Fukan Zazengi during this session and. Um, I'm always interested in working with texts like this to try to see how to work with them. Like, um, I think I think something like this provides a number of different kinds of opportunities for. Um, Practicing with, practicing with it. It's not the same as a. It's not the same as, to me, not the same as other forms of literature, other forms of writing. Uh, there's something completely different about it. And we chanted it. Just now, we're doing we're doing these chants. We. Uh, are talking about it. I'm talking about it. We're thinking about it. We um, can read it. We can study it. We can copy it. And, and we can do something which Maizumi Roshi um, called up in the in his introduction to the Blue Cliff record, we can practice reality reading. That's always stuck with me, that phrase. What is reality reading? I don't know, there are probably a lot of answers to that too, but one way might be 
to hold in mind a teaching like Fukan Zazengi and see the teaching in another form right in front of us in the, in the, in the, in the guise of reality, like looking at the clouds go in front of the moon at night. Another thing that I've noticed about reading texts like this and hearing them, chanting them and hearing them, and many other people I'm sure have this experience, is that if you read it or listen to it, certain phrases, certain words might seem to pop up and catch your attention. And it's not always necessarily the same ones that might change over time. And that's really interesting because I think that shows some kind of um, passage or growth or some kind of difference between then and now around your relationship with what you hear in these, in these teachings. And I like to say, when I read it, something lights up. It's like the, all of a sudden the page is kind of, it's not like a, you know, a big highlighter or whatever, but it sort of like glows a little bit when I read it. And then, and then another thing that came to mind just today is in the service, there's a, on a long chant, there's a there's an incense offering in the middle of the long chant, and and that might come at different times, depending on what the doshi or the officiant thinks about what's what's being heard. Uh, it might be something of some kind of certain significance. Some of the bells in the middle of the sutras are prescribed, but some of them are uh, can be determined by the at, under the circumstances. So that's another way that that I found of reading this. Like, when would the bell ring here? This that's a bell ringing passage. I just heard a little bell when that when those words went past. And there are a couple of them in here that I'd like to talk about today. For me, a couple of a, a couple of pa- passages of words that ring this bell for me that I want to talk about today. <clears throat> the first of those is this think of not thinking. Now, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, I, I'm sorry to have missed this this morning, but I'm happy to hear that everybody got to practice meditation lying down. And that's great because, especially in the context of this Fukan uh, Zazengi, because all the physical instructions are about sitting. 
And um, so what the lying down says is that it's not... There's another passage in here, and I don't have it on the tip of my brain, but there's another, there's another passage in Dogen that says no... no Zazen has nothing whatever to do with sitting or lying down. So it's it's the it's it's the practice of Buddha. So it's nice to be able to do lying down meditation to to, to detach it a little bit from this specific instruction for half lotus sitting upright. But it says once you have adjusted your posture, take a deep breath, inhale and exhale. Rock your body right and left and settle into a steady, immovable sitting position. Think of not thinking. I hear that little bell. How do you do that? How do you think of not thinking? Non-thinking. This in itself is the essential art of Zazen. So, about the moon in the sky with the clouds going past, think about, did everybody see it? I think most everybody saw it. Think about what was in your mind when you were, when you were looking at it. And maybe there were some responses like, man, that's really beautiful, or something like that. I've never seen seen anything quite like that. It's perfect. Different kinds of responses might come up. Would you say that you were thinking while, while you were looking at that? A little bit louder. Would you say? Would you say that you were thinking when you were looking at that? Would. Okay. I think one of the, and that's fine. That's good. So one of the, I think one of the things that Dogen Zenji does is presents these images of nature as metaphors for us to consider in the study of our mind. And so... I don't want to suggest that it's not the right thing to do to be thinking when you see that image. I think there are all kinds of things that could be that could be thought about while looking at that image or while walking, or while doing any other activity that may be meditative activity. And at the same time, that's something that Dogen Zinji offers us. That's the kind of thing that Dogen Zinji offers us as a kind of a handle to use potentially to study our mind with.
So it's a metaphor. One, uh, and the, the metaphors of the moon are fairly com- fairly common for clear, awakened being. The moon in a clear sky. And clouds might symbolize or signify our uh, circumstantial existence, our, our passing thoughts, our conventional understanding. And, or they might symbolize some kind of difficulty that we might be undergoing. And above it, beyond it, is this clarity. And the clarity is untouched, unfazed by the, by the circumstances, by the flow of these circumstances, difficulties, thoughts, um, And as I quoted, uh, had the opportunity to quote Shinryu Suzuki Roshi the other day on Sunday, he was using the sun and clouds in his metaphor. And he said that the sun, you'll notice if you take off in an airplane on a cloudy day, you pass through the clouds and then the sun is shining. Actually, the sun is always shining. Actually, the sun is always shining even at night. Actually, the sun is always shining even at night on the other side of your pillow. (laughs) And um, so last night we had the opportunity to see the moon and the clouds, which might signify our thoughts, moving in front of the, the moon. For me, when that little bell rings, think of not thinking. That image today, that image, that's the image that comes to mind. And I have the feeling that I can look at the moon with the clouds going in front of it and recognize that for what it is and not be hindered by the clouds or thoughts, even though I may be having thoughts, and not be hindered by the moon. So maybe another way of saying this is Non-thinking, it says, think of not thinking. How do you think of not thinking? Non-thinking. The words, the words are going to maybe get scrambled up a little bit here, but non-thinking is not not thinking. Non-thinking is maybe not thinking, but it might also be thinking that's not grasped. This in itself is the essential art of Zazen. 
the next one, those little bell moments, for me, is... You should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words and following after speech, and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself. Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will be manifest. If you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness without delay. I guess that that's a little bit that the, the bell the, the tone of the bell is not quite as long as that paragraph the, the the actual bell part is for me learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself body and mind of themselves will drop away this backward step image or the no it's not the backward step image, it's the turning the light around image is also found in Song of the Trusting Mind, which is from the seventh century, I believe. And that was 600 years before Dogen Zenji lived. And, and it also appears in the Song of, Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, which was three, 300 years before Dogen Zenji, I think. So this is a trip. This is a, 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 a quotation. It's a citation. It's a homage to ancestors, this image of turning the light around when Dogen, Jin, Dogen Zenji uses it. Um, so I'm going to come back to this, but, but I want to um, offer a little, a little digression into, uh, into something else, into another kind of line of inquiry. I'm I'm reminded of so when when Shakyamuni Buddha woke up he he didn't teach right away he started to I got I got I got my I got my sequence off excuse me when he was practicing prior to his awakening he studied with a number of teachers, and um, after he made the decision to um, seek liberation, he went off on his own, and he tried various things. He tried studying with other teachers. He tried uh, a path of asceticism, self-denial, self-abnegation, and... I think of this as like a series of experiments on himself. He, he was searching and he, he wanted to find some insight into the meaning of existence. 
um, and did so by means of a series of kind of experiments. And I think reading this text and other texts and studying, it's kind of like the same thing. How do you do this? How do you really look at, how do you really look at something like this? It might be that you don't just read it, but you formulate some kind of um, system or a series of things that you want to investigate as a, as a part of the path of reading, of reading this or figuring, figuring something out. So science is suggested, experimentalism, experimentation is suggested. And um, I'm not a scientist, but I have a feeling, pretty strong feeling for the scientific method. And at its basis, it involves some kind of hypothesis. I wonder if this could be, or I think this isn't the case, and I want to see if it's true. And then there's this experiment set up or a series of experiments involving a control, which is a, some aspect or some state of affairs that doesn't change, that's designed as something that doesn't change. And then there's a series of variables that are tested against this control to, to try to answer this question and, and, check out the hypothesis, check out the answer to the question. So I envision Shakyamuni Buddha kind of doing the similar kind of thing with um, his various wanderings and studies with other teachers, studies with teachers and his experimentation with austerity. And then... In the experimental world, hopefully one learns something, one gets a, gets a, a result, and then that might bring about another experiment, and so on. And in its pure form, I'm thinking about the origins of science when, the, when this method was just getting started, I think some of the questions that were asked and some of the hypotheses that were made were very honest, sincere, uh, gener more generalized uh, hypotheses, and 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 so, and I think things were maybe a little bit more open in those days and not maybe as constrained as they are might be today. I just, I'm just imagining this. I imagine that experimentation is much more focused and much more detailed in today's world than it was in the early days of science. Um, and so I'm... I'm thinking that I, I, I was inspired very recently by reading this book on chaos theory. And I don't want to get too much into this, but I want to talk about the inspirational part of it. Briefly, chaos theory 
holds that it, it's a theory of roughness and it holds that phenomena in the world that we live in here, we're not talking about only the subatomic world of physics, we're talking about the world out there in that field, that things that look random and chaotic, that there's a mathematics for that, and it's actually order. And the people who, the inspiring part of that story was to read about the people who got into this in the beginning and began to do research on this and started using tools like a pencil and a piece of paper and a HP 65 calculator in 1971. And uh, they didn't have computers. And they knew about quantum quantum physics, but they, they, they were on a different track. And it seems like a lot of this this research and a lot of this thinking was a whole lot like meditation. And there are actually stories of these mathematicians and physicists who more than one of them, I don't know how many, several of them were noted for uh, taking very long walks while they were working on these on these problems. Trying to, they're trying to in a sense, invent the problem. Um, and it's, there's, was quite a bit of subjectivity involved. And they found out that the mathematics that they wanted to use was, that they needed to use to study this, was actually fairly simple mathematics. And it's just that Instead of one very complex equation, for example, there were many, many, many equations that were very simple. It has a lot to do with geometry, this study. And, and so, Anyway, that's that's very inspiring to me that the, this is still it's sort of like we, we went we went back to the beginning to study something new. And 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 now it's commonly accepted that this that this the all of these complex phenomena can be described mathematically. Something I heard that rang a bell for me in that book was a mountain is not a cone. A mountain is, is, has, rough, has rough surfaces, and there's a mathematics for that. And a lightning bolt is not a straight line, and there's mathematics for that. That makes me think about the moon and the clouds. It makes me rethink my notion of what mathematics is. So, back to Shakyamuni Buddha, having these experiments with his quest for awakening. 
how do we experiment with ourselves? That's a that's an impulse that occurs to me when I look at these look at a text like Fukan Zizingi, I think, how can I use this? How can I apply it to my life? How can I work with it? It's good for communicating with other people about can I turn it into something that 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 I can use that I can, that stays with me? Maybe I can memorize it. Maybe there's something else in there that I can work with. Um, so how does one experiment on oneself? If, if one, if one, just a really kind of gross example, if one decides to experiment on oneself, one may say, I want to do some kind of drug. <laughs> I want to, I want to do drug. I want to do this drug, and I, I want to see what happens. That's kind of like an experiment. And so, um, what's your control, and what's your variable? Your control is uh, your life, and you're going to inject this drug into it, and then see what happens. There's another thing, there's another way to go about this, which is what's suggested, suggested here, I think. And that is, it, if you want to experiment on your life, you, uh, select your control and, and make it so simple and so plain and so empty that uh, well, you just say, what, what if I do that? What if I just sit down? And um, you know, I probably, I probably really don't know what my life is. Maybe I should just observe it in a in a, as simplified a space as possible. So I just sit down and see what happens. So in this version of an experiment on oneself, that's the control. Let's say zazen is the control, and then what are the variables? The variables are whatever whatever appear in the, in life, whatever appears out there. How does that stack up and measure against what this, what what's happening right here? That's how one might really learn something about not only about oneself but about about the world. Learn about the interior world and the exterior world, and where they meet. So, all of that comes from it comes from and it's described by taking the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself. 
it's it it's taking the it's taking the experiment on on oneself from being me in my chaos trying this exceptional substance to see what happens it goes from that the other way the turning the light around is let's look at the let's look at the base case of of the human being and observe the variables in all of the in, in all of, in all the phenomena that's turning the light around and it says also in the same thing in in Japan to carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion that myriad things come forth and experience themselves as awakening There's another kind of analogy that can be made not about science but about art or about uh, design, which I'm mostly familiar with having been a designer for a a large part of my life. And one of the one of the first most important things I learned as a designer was that it's not the the important thing in the design process is not the character of the solution or the character of the response it's actually where all the where all the activity takes place is in the is in the relationship between the response and the the, the, the stimulus or the, <coughs> the program or the problem as you call it in that world and and all of those things come up together so in, in a way to do a really good to do a really good process or do a really good process and a good product the most important thing is to do the right uh, is to get the right brief or the right problem in the beginning and there's creativity involved with that I can tell a whole lot of stories and it might get boring pretty quickly but so in the commercial world there are the clients who come to a designer and say we want to do this and the designer may be in competition with other designers and the designer may look at the look at this you know it's called a problem um their, their brief, their program, the designer may look at that and go, okay. Or they may say, hey, you know, that's not the right, that's not the right problem. 
that's they say that's their problem, but they they don't really know that it looks like a misunderstanding, and so we're 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 actually working with that, and sometimes, um, as I say, I've got a lot of stories. I don't want to tell these because they they too much detail for now, but I have been on both sides of. Let me see how I can of listening to the listening to the client who wants to do something and satisfying that satisfying that request and losing the job because I satisfied the request that they made and they didn't know it was the wrong one and we didn't tell them it was the wrong one. I've been there and I've also been in a place where uh, they came a client came and said we want to do this and, and actually that was a good one and what they didn't know was that there was an even better one right next to it and we solved that one and everybody was happy and they got a better solution than they even imagined could happen because their view of their need was limited and it didn't cost any extra money. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. So what? What? And I think that I think the same is generally true with art. So, in my opinion, you know, a lot of people would say art is about self-expression. Um, if I. If I think about that as a Buddhist, I, I say, well, maybe that's not maybe that's not quite right. It's about expression, and what is expressed, the the, the expression, is in response to something that's selected by the artist that might not be the self, it might be something else. So the reason I'm telling all, the reason I'm saying all of this is going back to the scientific language a little bit. It's important to pick the control. It's important to pick the right control, and that's what is that's what one can think about when approaching one of these texts and say, "How do I work with this? Like, what can I do? What can I do? Maybe I'll. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm just gonna." Based on Fukan Zazengi, I think I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to sit down right now. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to see what happens. And, and my hypothesis is, might be for this experiment, what Dogen Zinji says about, well, remember, let me get back to this. Remember, um, Here I have my, 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 my little person here, and I read this wonderful inscription of Fukan Zazengi. And I say, what does, this have in, what, what does this have to do with me? It sounds really good. I like this. I want to be like this. He says, sit down. Why should I sit down? I might have a little bit of doubt. Why should I sit down? 
I'm willing to do. I'm willing to do what it says. I'm willing to try it. But why? Well, this is what the what the ancestors did. And here or someplace else, he tells me that I'm no different from the ancestors. So that's my hypothesis. I'm going to see if that's true. And so I sit down. And um, the world comes to meet me. And that's what this is. Myriad things have come forth to experience themselves. I'd like to close by saying this, these words from the end of Sutta's Zen. Devote your way, devote your energies to a way that directly indicates the absolute. Revere the person of complete attainment who is beyond all human agency, the Buddhas and ancestors. Gain accord with the enlightenment of the Buddhas. Align oneself with the enlightenment of the Buddhas by sitting up, according to the instructions in Fukanza Zengi. Succeed to the legitimate lineage of the ancestors' samadhi. Constantly perform in such a manner, and you are sure you are assured of being a person such as they. Your treasure store will open of itself, and you will use it at will.